Welcome back to Historical Homos, the world's only no-fucks-given guide to queer history. I'm Bash, your overeducated queen in residence, and this is, of course, Lucy, my illiterate sister. Hello. Hi. That's enough. This week, we are trampling, pissing, and shitting on the name of Christopher Columbus and all his conquistador successors in honor of the indigenous people of the United States. Indigenous People's Day was... Is this weekend. On Monday. What? This episode will have come out already. (laughs) (laughs) Now, as we all can imagine, when European explorers and colonizers first arrived in the Americas, they encountered no shortage of queer people amongst the indigenous tribes and civilizations that were already fucking here. Mm -hmm. In Southern and Mesoamerican cultures like the Inca, the Aztec, gay, lesbian, and transgender people quickly became known to the arriving conquerors and missionaries. In North America, explorers encountered various tribes from the Sioux and Crow to the Navajo and Zuni who were known for celebrating men and women who crossed traditional gender boundaries. Of course, the boring Christian Euro-military complex immediately proclaimed all of this queer diversity sinful, sodomitical, and satanical. What fun they must have been at parties. But indigenous societies resisted, as we well know, into the 20th century. Today, trans-indigenous people often use the term two-spirit to refer to their trans or gender non-conforming identities. But their history goes back much further than most people know. Certainly further than my sister Lucy knows. Isn't that right, Lucy? Yes, brother. So, instead of celebrating Columbus and the age of discovering how to eradicate people, let's look at some of the most famous tales of queer Native Americans that come down to us. Slip your speedos on, and let's find out just what is around the river bend. So let's go back in time and take another rewrite through our history. Celebrate ourselves tonight and cover all the things that's still a mystery. Oh my God, it's good to be here. It's great to be here. How are you, Lucy? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Sebastian? Um, Throwing it right back at you. (laughs) Yeah, no, I love this repartee. No, it's good. I am fine. Safi, how are you? Safi is with us as well. (laughs) (laughs) She says hi. (laughs) Safi just basically came all over my face because she was so excited to see me. She speaks in full English sentences, so I don't know what (laughs) that impression was. Um, no, I'm excited. I love this topic. I actually, as you know, since the, my first viewing of the classic film Pocahontas have been interested in Native American history. Do you have much knowledge of indigenous history? I remember watching you watch Pocahontas. Anyway, I, as usual, you were playing a Disney princess in every single aspect of your life. True, and I would play. I would play the whole movie. I could play the whole movie back to front right now. I could lip sync for my life for it. Probably do it. Are we ready to start? Oh no, we have to do the sacrifice. The most holy sacrosanct sacrifice. Now, as a reminder, we sacrifice 
real things. They go in the garbage afterwards. Mm -hmm. This is not a joke. This is a gift to the gods to ensure the hilarity, the meaning, the success of the episode that we're about to embark on. And the podcast in general and the media empire that we are creating. Don't tell people that. I, we're not doing that. <laughs> okay, you want to go first? or I feel I actually am really intrigued by this flower that you've had. So I this have, is our dog, actually. So. I have a dried flower that represents the... the it's a fake flower. It is a paper flower that paper. actually belongs to my roommate, but she's never here, so <laughs> I don't care about throwing it away. And I've also always hated it. But well, fake flowers to are me, disgusting. it does represent the innocence of the land that we stole from the indigenous peoples of the, these continents. So I sacrifice this fake flower that has never actually been in the ground. My sacrifice today is um, honestly something I just need to get rid of. Uh, so I brought some batteries. <laughs> but this is actually only part of them. I can't remember what you... As we, as we commemorate the land, we will also dispose of these batteries. Yeah irresponsibly the <laughs> thereby polluting the land I nature is a circle let's um let's get started i need to learn some stuff today act one rise of the verdash columbus columbusy famously arrived in the bahamas in 1492 and thought that it was Aruba, Jamaica. Ooh, india but um <laughs> Many others followed. They, as we said, discovered all manner of queer people, but they literally did not have the vocabulary to describe them. So they ended up using words like hermaphrodite in French and English, hermaphrodite. Hermaph. So hermaphrodite was kind of a favorite in the early, in the 1500s, 1600s. And then they also used a few other workarounds like garçon efemine, which means effeminate boys. And in Spanish, hombres mariones impotentes. I don't know. Gracias. What, gra, gracias. <laughs> I don't know what mariones means, but and I looked it up. Impotentes obviously means impotent. 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 Yes, good because Bye. because queer men are not real men. Well, they just can't make babies, and it's illegal and disgusting if they try. <clears throat> that all sounds right to me. The French word berdache. Berdache. Berdache became particularly common as a word to refer to individuals who were male-bodied. And for a variety of reasons, choosing to live and work as women. Every tribe in North America, at least, had their own name for the Berdash. The Crow called them Bade. The Cheyenne used the word Hemane. And obviously, I don't know how any of these are pronounced, so I'm sorry if I'm butchering it. The Lakota said Winkte. Um, there were all sorts of different words, because obviously all these tribes had their different languages. Of course. But... I'm, we're gonna refer. We're gonna use Berdash to refer to all of them, even though there was variation just for just for ease. Who was the Berdash? The Berdash, as I said, typically male-bodied, but could also be assigned female at birth and then living and dressing and working as a man in the community. Oh, so it went both ways. Yes, okay. you could be a female Berdash or a male Berdash, and but most of the time it was um, people who were assigned male at birth. Amab, the. Berdash, who was assigned male at birth and typically presented in a feminine way, like we can't understand them through the Western idea of the binary, the gender binary. Which you is know? fake. Their identities existed within a different matrix. The matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. So we think that there were at least five fundamental gender identities that were 
shared amongst different indigenous communities. So I there was that. regular old male, cis male, regular old female, cis female, then two-spirit male. So to me, this is like kind of non-binary, but leaning towards mask, and then two, or gender non-conforming, leaning towards mask, two-spirit female. So again, the opposite of that. And then what we would today call transgender. So people who are, you know, living and performing the opposite gender of the one they were assigned at birth. Got it. Okay. So I just think it's interesting to point that out because a lot of the time people talk about how the Western Western colonialism and imperialism around the world kind of invented the gender binary. I don't think that's strictly true because lots of lots of societies had a gender binary that weren't from the West dating back to ancient times. I was about to say, didn't they have that in like ancient Egypt? Yeah, like uh, many, 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 many places. And the Hydra? Well, the Hydra are a third gender in India, so that would be a counterexample. So it is true true that imperialism, colonialism, imported the Western, or exported the the Western construction of the gender binary as strictly male-female to all of these different societies, and then that sort of became the dominant idea. And and so in indigenous communities, for example, there was this huge, there was this diversity, five different gender identities versus two that was stamped out by missionaries, by the government, by all sorts, by Reagan, by Ronald Reagan, (laughs) (laughs) by all sorts of, you know, cultural and literal encroachment from Western sources. So they colonize not only the land, but gender identity. But their minds. Minds. Yes, literally. Their minds, their identities. That's very true. That's true. That was poetic. Thank you. I try. Now, what did the Berdash look like? What did they do? Often they wore a combination of male and female gendered clothing. So a lot of them wore a women's work apron over trousers, for example. Okay, so that's just like a Brooklyn hipster. Right. They also wore a lot of specific jewelry that was coded female. Here's my other um, fun fact that I kept coming up in, uh, against in the research. In many tribes, European observers remarked that the Berdash were typically taller and huskier than cisgendered men. Hot. So my question there is like, and then they say this about the women too. They're like, the women, are, the women who are male presenting, the assigned female at birth who are male presenting are always like bigger, taller, stronger. So my question is like, did they see these bigger, taller people and they were like, they are not going to make me look bad. Those are the trans ones. Get them out of here. <laughs> <laughs> but it just seems weird like that all of these, like a couple of the examples that we'll go through, they, they always say they were the tallest, they were the strongest in the community. So it's almost like they singled them out. Were they given like special powers? <laughs> so, that, so yeah. And also in, <laughs> <laughs> as X-Men, did they... <laughs> Um, no, they were believed to have special, some, in some tribes, they were accorded spiritual and healing powers. So we'll talk about it in a second. But they were also typically extremely skilled in crafts. So oh, okay. a lot of these uh, assigned male at birth, Berdash, were expert in traditionally feminine crafts like basket weaving, like pottery. They were also typically really good at hunting, and some of them were excellent soldiers. So, uh, as so always, me again, me. Yeah, me, basically, they were very skilled. They were educated. This wasn't. They weren't shunned. Basically, is what I'm trying yeah, to get across. Yeah, they were part of the. They were tribe. no. They were a major part of the tribe. Like they, they had really important religious roles. They had really important economic roles. They were productive. Like all of that. So they were respected, and they were part of society. And then the white people came in and ruined that. Correct. Great. Correct. 
End of episode. Bye. <laughs> so how do we know about them? We have lots of sources from all of these European observers and explorers. One of them was a Jesuit missionary named uh, Joseph-François Lafiteau, who traveled through French Canada in the 18th century and attempted to explain the Burdash phenomenon in a wonderfully titled book called Customs of the American Savages. <laughs> and Jesus. this was a chapter of his work titled Men Who Dress as Women. Oh, Actually, wow. do you want to read this? I forgot that you're our reader because we're practicing. Oh, right. Let me just pull up my um, glasses. <laughs> <laughs> if there are women with manly courage who prided themselves upon the profession of warrior, which seems to be become men alone, there were also men cowardly enough to live as women. Okay, fuck you. Among the Illinois, among the Sioux, in Louisiana, in Florida, in Yucatan, there are young men who adopt the garb of women and keep it all their lives. Okay, so they're committed. They believe they are honored by debasing themselves to all the women's occupations. They never marry, they participate in all religious ceremonies, and this profession of an extraordinary life causes them to be regarded as people of a higher order and above the common man. So that's from the early Humble brag. That's from the early 1700s by Monsieur Lafiteau. Now obviously Lafiteau is a misogynistic pig who thinks that, you know, the the activity women's occupations are debasing for men to do. The other thing that's interesting here is that this tradition of the Berdash <laughs> Safi has her say. This tradition of the Berdash as I said earlier persisted well into the 20th century. So it was obviously important to indigenous populations because even as they were being systematically destroyed by American expansion, this stuff, this institution was maintained in a lot of these tribes. So I think that's like well into the 1900s. So I think mm -hmm. that's interesting too. As I, as I also mentioned, they were stamped out effectively by the government and more so even, I think, by missionaries. So all of the, yes? One question. question. Um, we have a question. Now, I know roughly what a missionary is, but for some of when our a listeners. a man and a woman. <laughs> <laughs> no, they just had a mission. What was that thing? I saw something on Instagram recently that was like, gay guys can do missionary? <laughs> it was like. <laughs> yeah, you just lift your lip. I mean, I've done the anal and missionary. are really not that far apart. They're really you not. Know? It's really not that different. I've done <sighs> anal and missionary. It actually kind of feels better because I feel like stuff is, because gravity, stuff is just falling It feels backwards. different, for sure. <laughs> feels different. I would think anal feels different. If you're doing it one way and then you start doing it that way, feels different. Well, yeah, but if you start that so, way. Start no, slow, everyone. <laughs> but I mean, I start with missionary in my normal human Your normal straight. anal routine. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about how much anal I've done in my life. So see, I am a different type of ally. Anal is fun. Um, Okie dokie. So they, wait, why were we talking about this? Oh, missionary. Yeah. Oh, missionary, what, missionary. what's a missionary? So missionaries are like Christians who have missions, literal missions, to go okay. convert people. So they go, they'll go, and they're, you know, it's a form of colonialism. It's a form of... Okay, Basically, I just so wanted to make sure everyone when you knew. When you said they were colonizing their minds, this is how they do it, because they give them a new religion, <gasps> and then that sort of, you know, establishes their authority. Okay. It becomes a new way of maintaining control. 
Okay, so I should write a book because I sort of understand <laughs> things. As and a missionary then, myself. <laughs> as I'm learning words, I'm understanding that I actually know a lot, but <laughs> I just don't know what the word means. Definitely. I would start with the book. Yeah. Yeah. I would start with the book. Remember how I want to write a book? So because of these missionaries, many indigenous communities became hostile towards queer people and queer identities. But that's changed a lot in the past several decades. The the word to the phrase word to spirit as a identity marker as a as a category has gained more prominence recently as um, as the gay and queer liberation movements have mm. prolif- proliferated. So things have changed recently for queer um, indigenous so it, it, Americans. It started really well, and then it got bad, and well, now it's getting a little better. I don't. I don't. I'm iffy about saying anything was good sort it of started pre-1950. okay 50 oh i don't no 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 this is the thing this is the thing as a as an historian i famously the guardian said <laughs> variety magazine actually as an historian i do not want to time travel i don't want to live i would like to visit i would like to call well, yeah. on them i would like to i would like to have high tea i would like to come to I want to go to an orgy in ancient Greece. An orgy, sure. Or Rome. The the idea of living at any point, like before we had water or the civil rights movement, like, no. Yeah, no, I mean, that's fair, but I do... Bam, time travel! (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I can't believe there are people really researching it. Yeah. Safi disagrees. Safi thinks time travel should be allowed for all dogs. So what about the other civilizations, like the Mayans... Sorry, I just heard what you said. What the the Mayans, the Aztec, the Inca. This is actually one of my favorite. We're gonna do a separate episode on this, but obviously the Aztecs were the ones in the Mesoamerican sort of, you know, the the what do we call that? Central American yeah. countries that uh, had their empire flourishing when Columbus and his cronies arrived. They definitely had words for homosexuals, male and female. They also apparently had quite harsh laws for punishing them because the Aztecs were harsh about everything. Um, But we only know this through European sources, so historians think that maybe it it wasn't as harsh as all that. But the Aztecs were kind of warmongering dicks who loved human sacrifice, which I don't... Oh, I was about to say, what I know about them is they like to sacrifice humans. Yeah, I don't... Well, and lots of people did that, so it's not no, no big deal, really. Calm down. It's not a big deal. I don't think it's a big deal. I, Stop if, crying for the lost souls of their sacrificial I, victims. If I could, I would sacrifice humans on a regular basis to get what I want. Who would you sacrifice first? Um, and where? I think I would probably Mom? sacrifice... <laughs> no. Mom at a Chuck E. Cheese. Mom's for like a big... <laughs> Moms prefer like something big, big, oh, right. but like just something on a daily basis. I'd probably just like, you know, pick a kid up from <laughs> school and pretend to be its babysitter for like four years and then take that kid and sacrifice it. I would say. I would get those kids from recess therapy. I was talking. <laughs> um, recess therapy? You know that Instagram with the kids where the guy, the gay guy like asks kids questions and it's like, oh, they're so cute. I would sacrifice them. Oh, yes, yes. I know exactly what you They're mean. They're so up themselves. They, I think I would sacrifice any kid who is on TikTok as like a parent influencer, but the parent just voices them over. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's cute. Sometimes it's really cute. Age five or below only. Yeah. So wait, back to the Aztecs. They interestingly had a word. Well, one of the languages in the Aztec civilization is Nahuatl. And they had a word for male homosexual, which was Sochi. I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but Sochihua, which literally means 
flower haver <laughs> or flower holder because flowers <laughs> are <gay>. sorry <laughs> sorry i forgot that in my notes i just wrote in all caps fancy flower boy <laughs> So flowers in Aztec mythology and iconography represent the erotic, the sexual. So for some reason, boys, so for some reason, having a flower means you're a gay boy. There's also an Aztec god named Xochipilli, who, and Xochipilli means flower, Pili means prince. (laughs) So the flower prince, which is just a dope. That's a great name. Yeah, dope epithet. And... He was supposed to be the patron god of male homosexuals and male prostitutes, as well as flowers, sex, and magic mushrooms. <laughs> so, kind of my whole grinder bio in one you. thing. The Incas also definitely did sodomy. We know from records of the missionaries who went and tried to mission them. Mm. We also have these amazing erotic figurines from the Incan civilization called Huacos. So yeah, I wanted you to look at it uh, because they, to me they kind of look like, like penises. a ceramic bubbler. You know, you remember when we smoked weed in high school and you could get a oh, bubbler? Yeah. Kind of looks like that to me. But um, it also looks might like have been a lamp. Also, looks like two guys bumming. Oh no, that's what it is. Oh okay. There okay. are two. There are two like men doing dope ass fuck butt sex. sex I thought this was supposed but, to be. Did you say bug sex? <laughs> no, butt sex. Bug sex. sex. <laughs> so this is actually one of the few that survived this very intentional destruction campaign that the Europeans went on in the 16th century to destroy the tens of thousands of these figurines. So they, maybe they had some sort of religious function or something like that. Um, but I do think it's, it's interesting beautiful. that. You know, you get rid of the ceramics and you get rid of the gays. That is how it works in Brooklyn and in Incan civilization. 100%. Okay, now for the fun part. The actual historical homos. Act two. Pageant of two-spirit slay the boots house down. So what I thought we would do, I actually got this. I, I did sort of copy a little bit from this book called Living the Spirit, a Gay American Indian Anthology, which is compiled by gay American Indians. And it's really good. It's like, you should get it. When I didn't have friends, I had books. We begin in the 1500s with a figure, and I love I love this person's name, Nameless Indian Hermaphrodite. Elmuts? <laughs> <laughs> Nameless. That's how they come down to us in the sources, what can I say? Thank you, colonizers. Jesus. They were probably one of many, though, in the Timucuan society in Florida in the early, in the 1500s, 1600s. And apparently this particular individual saved a French explorer named René Goulin de Laudonnière in 1564 when he and his party almost literally died of thirst because they were going on a trek or something in the Florida woodlands trying to find their next place to stay or colonize. Can and I just say one thing? Of course. Um, I find it so funny in history to think about the fact that people wanted to colonize Florida. Because if you think about it now, like if only we had just left that one piece <laughs> of land alone and it would be so Everything different. Would be different. Everything would be just maybe not okay. Don't say Florida. Just like <laughs> no Florida. No Florida 2024. Wait, that's really funny. We should start the Don't Say Florida campaign. What is it? You know about Don't Say Gay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> no, it I sounds forgot. familiar, but don't I don't. Don't Say Gay is like the big, um, 
they had this oh, bill Oh, don't say gay. Yes, Florida, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, to of not course. talk about gay stuff in school. So we should just have a national campaign called Don't, don't Say, say Florida. Florida. I love that. So back to our nameless Indian hermaphrodite. Suddenly, <laughs> in the searing heat of midday in the Florida woodlands, according to Renee's account, this is a quote, a hermaphrodite came before us with a great vessel full of clear fountain water and literally saved them. So as, as always... American Indians are there to provide food, to provide water, to provide advice, to help these motherfucking bastards who repaid them by killing them with syphilis and other diseases. And brought us Florida. <laughs> and then and then, what did they invent in return? Florida. Florida. Fuck. Now, another Frenchie around the same time, an artist named Jacques Lemoine, mm. actually depicted these hermaphrodites, quote unquote, in one of his many drawings based on an ex- expedition to Florida in the 1560s. Side note, I do think it's the only time I would want to go to Florida is probably in the 1560s <laughs> for a quick trip, just because... For the Fountain of Youth? Well, yeah, it's like, I feel like it's got some more mythology around it at that point. Like, right, like no one wants to go to Florida now because it's ugly and gross and Republicans live there. But if you went in the 1560s, sort of when it was the hip new thing to be, you know, when like it was when the people new Brooklyn... Thought- of <laughs> Europe. When people thought it was India? Right. Like when it had some when it had some pull. Anyway, I just think this guy is pretty cool for getting out of France in the fifteen sixties and going to fucking Florida. Well, it sounds like he basically is like every other colonizer that he left his country to go to America and decide to depict what he wanted. Well he came back actually. He didn't stay there. Uh, but that's I th- neither here he, nor there. <laughs> he, probably, <laughs> he probably was. Okay, he's a colonizing bastard. But he was a really good artist as well. And yeah, he drew all of these photos. So we uh, he drew these photos. <laughs> he drew these black and white photos photographs from the 1500s. <laughs> so we have all these images of the hermaphrodites and they it's interesting because when you look at all of them together you can see that the men have certain gendered characteristics and the women have certain characteristics and the hermaphrodites are somewhere in between. So he depicts them Jacques depicts them with long hair like the women. So the hermaphrodites though they obviously have male bodies. They look very strong and muscular and apparently in this society in Florida they their role was to uh, in war was to carry supplies, carry the injured, carry the dead, treat the sick, treat the injured. So they had a very, they were support staff. They were, <laughs> they were cater waiters. <laughs> <laughs> they were cater waiters to dead people. Um, no, my favorite part of this um, drawing photo is the fact that it, it is the, the male <laughs> dead person um, or almost dead person. The male, the male is the weak one in this. Right. Which yeah. I think is important to point out that the hermaphrodites, That's true. nameless hermaphrodites That's true. From, are doing from a sort of artsy analytical lens. I, I think you're very, you're very right. Oh, thank we're, you. I went to art school and we're calling, we're calling attention to the hermaphrodites um, power musculature here. And power. For sure. And power. importance. Power, importance. God, do you they, even like want this to succeed? So <laughs> the hermaphrodites wore female attire as well. Uh, they mixed female and male attire, but they were primarily distinguished by the color of the feathers that they wore in their hair, mm. which is very Brooklyn also. Yeah, that's definitely like 2000, like early aughts. Or late, yeah, late aughts. Late, late yeah. aughts, excuse me. Excuse yeah, when me. we were colonizing Brooklyn. <laughs> when, I never did that. was colonizing I Brooklyn. I have never colonized Brooklyn. I actually went back to England and colonized there. So if you, you think recon- about it, I recolonized <laughs> you England. Back, you bacchanized. Anyway, back to the Berdash in, in Florida. <laughs> Marriages between men were also allowed and the in this society. And the Berdash were totally, the hermaphrodites were totally into sodomy. And apparently all the males of this, all, all the assigned male at birth people in this society were 
quote, strongly inclined to sodomy. Well, yeah, butt stuff and mouth stuff is great. Mm. I've always said that. <laughs> I've always, always said that. Okay, so over in California, I'm not sure what uh, what time this was, but I think it must have been later on because the explorers only got there later. But the the there were Spanish Franciscan fathers, priests, priests, not fathers. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. Who went to California and they had no idea to make of the bear dash that they encountered there. So there's a source that says, do you want to read this, this quote? Okay, okay. Oh. Among the Gentile women, there was one who had all the appearances of a woman, but judging by the face and the absence of breasts, though old enough for that, they concluded he must be a man. It's crazy that I can't speak. <laughs> so anyway, they, they then take off the Bear Dash's ceremonial clothing in this excerpt to prove that they're anatomically male. And the Bear Dash is extremely ashamed because this was obviously like some kind of affront to their religion or their identity or whatever. Uh, and they say they, they, that they were the Berdash was ashamed more than if they really had been a woman because all women are modest, obviously, and never take off their clothes. And when they do, they, and when they do, they cry about it <laughs> deeply. <laughs> the missionaries then tell the Berdash not to stay with the women and live with the w- women anymore because living with the women means that um, everyone thinks that the, they're sleeping with them. So the Berdash eventually uh, fucks off from the mission and is like, I'm not living here anymore. And then just starts dressing as a woman in all of the surrounding villages. I feel like the Berdash should have just taken over everything and taken over government because they Mm. sound really powerful and smart and respected. I think they went they went where they were needed and they were not needed where the Franciscan priest daddies were. Also, one thing I just learned on this podcast, and I'm sure other people know this already, but. San Francisco is named after the Franciscans. Uh, I think it's named after the saint, San Francisco. But was he saint part Francis. of? It's Saint Francis in Spanish. But was he part of the Franciscans? Because yeah, Fran- Saint Francis is, I guess, the founder of the <laughs> Franciscans. Like the Benedicts probably. is Saint Benedict. What? Is be- like the Benedictine monks? Yes. St. Benedict. Anyway, back to California in the 1800s. <laughs> Please. So there were 34 California tribes that were known to have Berdash, and apparent, and they had all different roles in all of these different tribes. It, among the Tolawa in North California, there they were often shamans who had healing power, uh, healing roles, physical, and uh, they were called upon to cure physical and spiritual issues. So kind of like you know your queer witch doctor therapist. Yeah, that sounds great. And they also had roles like preparing the dead for burial and specializing in certain crafts. Okay, on to a person with a name. Weiwa was born in 1849, lived until 1896, and was one of the most famous Berdash, uh, pretty much of all time, I'm going to say. Oh, this is an actual photograph. This is an actual photograph, because now we're in the age of photograph. And they came from the Zuni tribe. She came from the Zuni tribe. She used she, her pronouns from what I can gather. And Weiwa was famous because she actually represented her people on an embassy to Washington, D.C. and met the president and also was sort of presented to Washington society and kind of helped keep Zuni culture and crafts alive. She was well-educated in all of the sacred and secular lore of the Zuni people. She also was able to participate in all male religious activities. She ran the household of her adopted family. Okay, boss, wow. girl boss, girl boss, what girl boss, girl boss. What can she do? She was also the first in the Zuni tribe to earn cash. 
I really thought you were going to say cats. But then we know a lot about her because she made friends with an anthropologist named Matilda Cox Stevenson. Find me a whiter name than that. Who wrote a long report about the Zunis in 1904. And she's the one who insisted on using female pronouns with Weiwa. So that's why I'm like, okay, we should call her, we should refer, refer to her as she, her. Mm. So uh, Matilda Cox Stevenson Cox. believed that Weiwa was assigned female at birth for the first four years of their friendship. And then in 1886, she invites Weiwa to spend six months in D.C. as her guest. Washington Society, all the newspapers refer to Weiwa as the Zuni priestess. So she's very female coded. Mm. Um, they demonstrate... Uh, sorry, Weiwa demonstrates weaving and other Zuni crafts at the Smithsonian and helps preserve uh, Zuni culture. Amazing. And then sadly, Weiwa dies sort of at the age of like 50 or something. It's like not old. In 1896 with Stevenson by her side. Very sweet. And she Ooh. asks Stevenson in English to protect the Zuni people and she calls her their mother. So wow. actually big up Matilda Cox Stevenson because... Um, if Weiwa trusts you, girl, I trust you. Do they? Do we, as a collective um, society, believe that those two might have had something going on? Is that ever mentioned? I don't know. I just imagine a woman. Matilda Cox Stevenson does sound like the type of woman who gets down. Yes. So, as a Burdash, Weiwa was buried in women's clothes with a pair of pants slipped on underneath to symbolize the Burdash's bridging of the male and female identities, Amazing. which I love. I love that. So, okay, another one named Osh Tish from the Crow Nation in Montana, lived from 1854 to 1929. Now, Osh Tish in the Crow language means finds them and kills them. So to me, Sick. this is very much your character, Lucy. Yeah, I feel strong right now just thinking about it. Uh, just thinking about my next victim. <laughs> Actually, really cl- climaxing. <laughs> <laughs> so Ashtish was one of the last traditional Crow Berdash, they actu- also called Bade in Crow. They fought at the Battle of the Rosebud for one day, <laughs> putting on men's clothes and attacking a hostile Lakota war party. So That's exactly me, what I know, would like, do. Honor, honor our queer an- ancestors, of course, of course, of course. But I do have to question why this person became a war hero after going to war for one day. <laughs> one singular day. I mean, I feel like if anyone goes to war for one day, they've seen it, you know, man? They've That's kind of true. Like, That's kind of true. I feel like if you... I mean, could you go like in? You, I'm sorry. Could you go into battle right now? I think about this a lot. I oh do think that I I think I would be better positioned in a war in some sort of intelligence role. I can do more damage on my laptop sitting in my pajamas before my first cup of Earl Grey than you can do in a year in the field. Yeah, in a strategic role. Or, you know, like hand job giver or something. Yeah. A de-stressor. Yeah, definitely a... <laughs> A, military I think camp a sh- de-stressor. A stre- strategic de-stressor. I'm just a hole. <laughs> You're, you are the whole. So the crow bear dash. Oh, so after after uh, Oshtish after finds them and kills them became a war hero in one day, they uh, continued living with uh, and working with the women and other bear dash. The crow bear dash actually called each other sister, which I love. Girl, this this week is amazing. Why don't we wear this more? Sister, sister, and saw Oshtish as their leader. Now, we know a lot about Ashtish because we have, like, again, records from anthropologists and these cool people who came to visit the Crow and learn, quote unquote, visit, learn, learn about them. One of them was Robert H. Lowry in 1912, who wrote this. 
Oshish was probably over 50 years of age, stands about 5'7", and is of large build. Again, like Me. the tall, the tall, large one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Me. I'm not tall, though. I'm really tiny. Are you 5'7"? No, I'm 5'3 and 3 quarters. I never grew <laughs> oh that God, You're so short. Acor- yeah, any tall daddy kings. Actually, I'll go anywhere. 5'7 fine for me. According to several informants, former agents have repeatedly tried to make Oshtish don... That was actually the spirit of Austin. <laughs> Austin. Austin is like, I am not donning male clothes for the 900th time. Former agents have repeatedly tried to make him don male clothes, but the other Indians themselves protested against this, saying that it was against his nature. He has the reputation of being very accomplished in feminine crafts. Again, everyone's good at fucking basket weaving and pottery. Why are men so like opposed to craft? I know. Like, I'm like, why wh- wouldn't you what? get into that? Like, I feel like that's actually more a men thing that I see now with all these Brooklyn hipsters. Yeah, you know, they're who all do like, their, let's like, pottery do a pottery. Classes. Yeah, exactly. Oh my God, it's like we're on the same podcast. The story of Oshtish is kind of sad, though, because th- another reason we know about them is because they were subjected to a lot of persecution from these federal agents, from Christian missionaries, who, as we said, were trying to stamp out the Berdash tradition, the Bade tradition in, in the Crow language. Meanwhile, the Christian missionaries are coming up with their own stuff Queer. <laughs> by telling all the congregation members in their mission to stay away from Oshtish because obviously they are hellacious cunts who thought that they could isolate the Baday tradition to death mm. and unfortunately they were kind of right. So what about all the women in this? I don't want to talk about women. No, but I'm joking. W- w- uh, like assigned female at birth but present as men. Mm. We know of, so we know of one named Pineleaf who may not be real. And then she also may have been a fake name for a very real woman named Woman Chief who lived from the 1800s to the 1850s. This is a historically researched podcast of someone who is possibly real with a different name, but maybe not also <laughs> real with a different name. No, Woman Chief is real. We know Woman Chief was a real person. But she was... She was described by the these white frontiersmen who met her as taller and stronger than most women, again. <laughs> and she was originally part of the Gros Ventre tribe, or Gros Ventres <laughs> tribe. I don't know if it's French or Spanish. And she was then adopted by the Crow tribe and rose to become woman chief. She could, ri- according to these white frontiersmen, she could rival any of the young men in all their amusements and occupations, was a capital shot with the rifle. I love the word capital. It's very like, capital! Um, and would spend most of her time in killing deer and bighorn, which she butchered and carried home on her back when hunting on, fo- on food. <laughs> on foot. On food. On food. On food. Okay, so love also her. Also your character. Also my character. Yeah. You're a bear dash. Fair. Oh, thanks. <laughs> No, fam- my favorite part of this is could rival any young men in all their amusements. A.K.A. she could give a better handy and blowjob than all of them. Potential, potential. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's historical fact. <laughs> no, it's in there. It's, it's actually right there. Right there. <laughs> Woman chief helped repulse a, a raid on her village, and that kind of like got her going in her whole military career. She uh, took the, the fight to them and led her own raids and her own war parties. Crow tribes and villages composed songs in her honor. She eventually married another woman to increase Mm -hmm. the wealth and prestige of her lodge and eventually supported four wives altogether. So, the real L word, (laughs) Crow edition. 
that was a lesbian reference. <laughs> Woman chief died in 1854 <laughs> when she was killed Pivot. <laughs> in a surprise attack by the Grosvenor's tribe from which she originally descended. So, okay, who was Pineleaf then? Mm. So Pineleaf was probably the same woman, it seems to me like probably, but was potentially another female Berdash who lived amongst the Crow. And we know about her through Jim Beckworth, who was born enslaved to a white father and black mother, I believe in Mississippi or Louisiana. He became a trapper, trader, adventurer, and eventually when he joined the Crow in 1828, a warrior and even served as a chief. So, which I find very interesting too, because the Crow obviously like took people in a lot yeah. from the outside. So we always think about tribes as very like insular, but there was obviously a lot of flexibility. So anyway, he meets Pineleaf there and he has this whole account of his time with the Crow. He meets Pineleaf there, which is Barchi Ampe in, in the Crow language. Mm -hmm. And he thinks she's the bravest woman in the world. She's particularly, she's described as particularly intelligent. They also go on and on about how tall and strong she is. And P Pineleaf has this whole backstory, this kind of like superhero backstory, where she has solemnly vowed to, after the death of her twin brother, Aww, flutter. to avenge him by killing a hundred of the enemy with her own hand. And okay, she, yeah, me. Me. If, <laughs> if someone tried to kill you or killed you, I would take a hundred You'll heads. have to define the enemy. And then kill a hundred of them. Um, like, who is the enemy? Florida. Florida. <laughs> I can go for that. She added that she would not marry before she accomplished this goal. So, of course, Beckworth, being a horny dick, tries to move in on her and is like, hey, will you marry me? And she's like, no. <laughs> and then and then Jim is like, please, 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 will you marry me? And Pineleaf is like, okay. And then <laughs> Jim is like, okay, so when are we going to get married? And she's like, when the pine leaves turn yellow. So and then in the it fall, is, a fall wedding? That no, 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 no. You fell for it as well because it is a full week before Jim Beckworth realizes that pine leaves never turn yellow. <gasps> Evergreen! I love her! <laughs> so, wow. yeah, pine leaf has kind of a, has, pine leaf, the library is open. Now you want to talk about reading? Let's talk about reading. Oh my God, pine leaf is a fucking G. Sadly, this is probably a completely made up story. <laughs> No, but because and because it has a lot of overlap with women chiefs um, and all of this romanticizing backstory, we're not sure what the real deal is. And Jim Beckworth was a fucking liar. But we do know there were butch gals getting shit done. <laughs> there was another female Berdash named Running Eagle who lived in the 1800s to 1840s. She also became chief of her lodge after her parents died and was known for her military exploits. Exploits. Uh, ex-boys <laughs> for her military exploits and refusing to live or dress as a woman running eagle great name also i just like want to call attention to the fact that i love the image of all of these women who are like real huntresses yeah Do you know what i mean it's like so dope like and we think about we think about i think when we think back into history we're you know prehistory and all of that we're like oh the women were doing the babies and gathering the yeah. nuts and berries and stuff Having like that. Having their like, periods and buckets. Like, <laughs> or just letting it hang out. <laughs> but I just love the idea that obviously like there's so much diversity in history. Of course there were women who were hunters who did all of this stuff. You know how... Like the Amazons. Right, exactly. Yeah. Like the Amazons and like Artemis. That's what I think of. And, and in Greek mythology, sorry to make it Greek for a second, but... It's okay, you have a one note. We think about Artemis as this 
sort of mythological figure, you know, the huntress in the mountains and mm. the forest. But that is real. Like that, what, that existed in many societies and, and cultures, or at least in this one. At least there was one, and her name was Running Eagle. Okay. I just think that's that was, so cool. No, I agree. I think that was that's amazing, and I. It's cool to be passionate about things, Lucy. God. I'm oh. sorry. That wasn't a very yes and moment. Um, <laughs> shit. Okay, come on. I, We've been doing this for too long, so let's get to the last one. Unless you have something critical to say. I was just going to say I agree with you. I think it's a very strong and beautiful thing in history and should be acknowledged more. It was not critical. I like being agreed with, though, so I loved it. Sister! <laughs> so, and then one last one. Hastien Kla lived from 1860. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but li lived from 1867 to 1937. So, finally, a, a nice ripe old age. I think that's, that's what, 70 years? <laughs> Um, no idea. Who was a Navajo uh, Berdash or Nadle who helped make Navajo weaving into a fine art and preserved Navajo religion by working with anthropologists and this rich woman in Boston who basically funded a museum of Navajo arts and crafts and stuff like that in the Southwest. Act three. Does anyone care? And by anyone, I mean Lucy. So we like to end every episode by figuring out whether or not I've done a sufficient job of persuading a straight person to care about queer history. And because, barring Safi, our mascot, <laughs> because Lucy is the only straight person, frankly, allowed in my home, <laughs> I am going to ask her, Lucy, do you care about any of this? I do absolutely care. I think it's very interesting um, how, I mean, I love the idea of five different um, identities being mm. acknowledged in yeah, I think that's in cool. history and showing how it's it, I mean it's shown up throughout history. Thank you for that. Um, thank you for joining us. I think we'll close with a straight apology. It's a straight apology. You know, every week we go on and on and on about queer people, gay people, lesbians, transgender. I feel that Me. it's nice to have a little moment where we honor a straight person because representation does matter. Absolutely, absolutely. Straight representation. Of course it does. So who's your figure this week? Who's so your straight person my, that you'd like to apologize for? My straight person this week um, is actually Britney Spears and her knife dancing. Uh, I just wanted to take a second... One, if you haven't seen it, you should probably go watch it. Uh, I was watching it on the way here, and it is profound and sharp. <laughs> I, I would just like to call you out on a technicality, because as backup dancers, those knives are technically gay. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. Okay. Well, I mean, like most things, you can't, you can't have... A, a straight person can't exist without being supported by gay people. And that's true. And you know what? I support it. Don't say Florida. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you for apologizing for Britney Spears. And I also just have one more thing to say. Uh, that's all we have time for this week. <laughs> Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us. If you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating. Only five stars on Apple or Spotify. Again, five stars only. Exactly. You're doing it. That's right. Great. Mommy likes it when you listen. Oh, yeah. And you can follow us at historical.homos on Instagram, at historicalhomos on TikTok. Stay tuned for a lot that we're doing this month. October is Queer History Month, if you did not know that. And New York, look out for our live shows coming to you soon. Love you. Love you. Mwah.